Sometimes I would have the hair on my head, but then I would lose an eyebrow. For a really long time, I had all of my hair, but I just didn't have an eyebrow. And this was probably the ages of like five, six, seven. I was always really good at academics. And I think direct correlation, when I started wearing a wig, my grades went down. Because now I wasn't paying attention in class. I was paying attention to, is the back of my hair okay? Do I need to pull my wig down over here? Wearing a wig is not an option for me. There's not a medical treatment that I could go for. So then I decided to shave my head. And that was probably the single best decision that I have made in my life. And not just deciding to shave my head, I think the way that I decided to shave my head was the key in doing it. I wanna share this with you, I'm perfectly healthy. You know, I have alopecia, I kind of just explained to them, it's not contagious, it doesn't hurt me, it doesn't harm me in any other way besides the fact that I just don't have hair. Is someone gonna marry me if my head's gonna be shaved? And all of these different things, that was something that kind of stuck with me. And I was like, you know, my version of beautiful is not someone else's version of beautiful. Their version of beautiful is not somebody else's version of beautiful. So why am I sitting here beating myself up over the fact that I don't fit into one person's definition of beautiful. Hey everyone, and welcome back to A Millennial Mind. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's guest has come all the way from LA and she is oozing with positive energy. In today's episode, we talk around confidence, self-acceptance, and how to block out the noise that we hear from everyone else in society. It's all about empowering yourself to listen to your own thoughts and to follow what's in your own heart. Really quickly, before we get into this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could press the subscribe and like button. It would really mean the world to me, and I know that you're all going to love this episode, so let's get into it. Niha. Shivani. Welcome to Millennial Mind, and actually welcome to London. Thank you. Thank you so much. How is it? How are you finding it being here? It's amazing. Honestly, I want to move here. <laughs> Only someone from LA would come to rainy London and be like, it's amazing. I came to get fall weather. We didn't have any there, so I came here and it's amazing. It's been perfect. It's so funny. I mean, I think anyone who comes to the UK either complains about the weather or like loves it because they don't have it. Yeah. I'm in the complaining bracket because I live here and I just feel it's always raining. Yeah. But I'm really happy to have you here. Thank you. It's I'm really funny be because I messaged you, I think, two years ago now. Yeah. And I always think that all these things come back in full circle, right? And I noticed you because you did a campaign called The Bald Brown Bride. And it was so powerful to me. And it was something I'd never seen before. So talk to me about that. Why did that campaign come about? Yeah, that campaign was a really long time in the making. So 
I have alopecia areata. Um, it is a hair loss condition. There's a few different types of alopecia. I have areata, which means it only affects the scalp. Um, okay. And basically, it's an autoimmune condition where my white blood cells fight against my hair follicles. And it's the way that I explain it to people is it's like I have an allergy to my hair, um, but only on my scalp. Um, Sometimes eyebrows are affected. Sometimes eyelashes are affected. But I have hair everywhere else, unfortunately. <laughs> but, no way. Yeah. And is that common? It is. So, again, three different types of alopecia. One affects the scalp. One affects kind of the whole head area. So I, I guess I'm a between the two because I have lost my eyebrows um, and then have them grown them back and then same with my eyelashes. And then there's universalis, which is all of your body hair everywhere. And so I... Have the first. I was diagnosed officially with the first, and then I think it's between the two. And I've had it since I was six months old. Wow. So I've really been living with it my whole life, pretty much. Um, and just, I was born in India. I was diagnosed when I was six months old. I remember, I don't remember this, but my parents have told me that I kind of lost all of my hair, and they went to the doctor, and they were just worried about what's happening. The doctor diagnosed me. They used some like topical creams and oils and homeopathic Ayurvedic mm. remedies. And by the time I was like a year and a half, my hair grew back. And pretty much all the way back. And around that time, we also moved to the US. And my parents actually now tell me that the reason that they moved to the US was because of my alopecia. The doctors recommended that this is gonna be something that I'm probably gonna have to deal with for a long time. And the medicine and just the, the medical advancements in the US were at the time better than India. And then also a huge reason was because of society the struggle that I would have within society if I stayed in India dealing with this hair loss condition. And the doctor said that? Yes. No way. Yeah. I'm, I'm so shocked at that because I think often societal pressures, they're not directly spoken about. Yeah. They're very indirect. You know, you shouldn't do this because someone's going to tell you that. You, know, you shouldn't say this because someone else is going to say. But for a doctor to say, yeah, that's quite alarming. Yeah, and obviously I, I don't remember any of this stuff, but I think it was kind of both. It was a two-in-one yeah. medicine, and I think my parents also just wanted to move to the U.S., and we had family there, and, and I think it was the move that they wanted to make for their life, and it just kind of all worked out. We moved to the U.S., and from the point that we moved to the U.S., I dealt with my alopecia in stages, so sometimes I would have the hair on my head, but then I would lose an eyebrow. For a really long time, I had all of my hair, but I just didn't have an eyebrow. And this was probably the ages of like five, six, seven. And that was also when I started to realize that there's something about me that's different. There's something about me that is maybe not a good thing because I remember when I would go to family parties or bigger events, my mom would fill in my eyebrow. Um, and if she didn't, I would kind of get people looking at me. And when I was, I think, seven years old in first or second grade, I did gymnastics classes. And my gymnastics teacher used to call me one eyebrow girl. And he basically, being an adult, used to make fun of me. And I don't even know how that happened, but I, I vividly remember that. And so 
that was kind of the beginning of my understanding of what beauty is supposed to be or what people are supposed to look like and knowing that I didn't fit into that mold. Oh my goodness. He used to call you that. Yeah, one eyebrow girl. And did everyone else then start calling you that? No, I mean, there were kids around me um, and he only used to call me that when we were just in the setting with the age group. And then I told my mom and my mom did complain. Right. And I think it's, it's diff- you know, there's a lot of layers that go into it. Being a person of color, being mm. Indian, and I was in a class with not that many Indian people. And I think my mom did go and talk to them, but maybe they didn't take her as seriously. And there's so many different layers when it comes to that that stuff. But after that, yeah, my mom complained. He stopped calling me that, but that judgment was still there. Like, it doesn't matter if you mm. start using my name instead of calling me one eyebrow girl. I still know that that's what you used to call me. And I still know that you used to laugh about it. So how can I be comfortable in that sort of situation? And shortly after, I ended up quitting gymnastics because it just wasn't a comfortable oh. environment. And it really upsets me to know that, you know, you said that your mom used to fill your eyebrow in, right? And I just want to talk about that because I think, obviously, your mom did that out of love, 100%. right? 100% out of yes. love. But as, as a child, you're now learning that yeah. when I see other people, yeah. I have to add this to my face yes, or, you know, change this. And that's what you just said, right? It's more that you know that at home you can be one person and in public you can be a different person. Yeah. So that was the age of, I was around seven. Yes. Talk me through the rest of your school journey. Yeah. So about two years after that, I think after that, I, I ended up growing my eyebrow back. And again, everything with alopecia is like an ebb and flow. So at some point, you know, I might have had like a bald spot that might have been a quarter size a bald spot and then it grows back and then something else comes in and it's always kind of been like that okay but when I was about nine years old I started losing my hair more rapidly and that was the point in time where I pretty much didn't have a full head of hair after that point so that was like when it started for me and I was nine years old started losing my hair I was 10 years old continued losing my hair by the time I was about 11, my hair loss was bad enough that I had to wear a hat. So now I'm wearing a hat to school. I'm wearing a hat pretty much everywhere because the spots are difficult to cover. I'm going through treatment. So, so one thing to know about alopecia, there's no cure for it. You can do different treatments. You could do like... go to a dermatologist, they'll give you some ointments, there's steroid shots that you can take, there's different things that you can do, but nothing is 100% guaranteed. Everyone's body is different. The Mm. way that everyone's body reacts to the medicine is different. And so I had done, throughout my life, I've done every single type of treatment for it. And obviously nothing has worked, but I'll talk more about that a little later. And basically... I'm going to these treatments, and one thing is that I think the reason that my parents moved to the U.S., what, one thing that I had was I had a support group. My dermatologist had an alopecia support group, and it was at the Stanford Hospital, and it was probably a, a really big support that I had mm. that I saw people around me that also had alopecia, which not a lot of people who have alopecia can say. Yes. And alopecia is actually very common especially in South Asians and people of color. It's a very, very common um, thing that happens. And 
I was just lucky enough to be in a place where I had a support group for it. But going back to kind of just my journey, I started wearing a hat. And by the time I started wearing the hat, I was very self-conscious, obviously. I couldn't leave the house without this hat. I was always wearing it. And, you know, kids are ruthless. And that's the time when they're learning, okay, Mm. she's always in a hat. Is it funny to take off her hat? Is it funny to do this? Is it funny to tease her? And that was probably the start of like the bullying that I dealt with and just kind of the self-consciousness and anxiety that I had around just being out and about. Shortly after I started wearing a hat, within a year, I actually ended up starting to wear a wig. My parents basically realized that my hair was getting really thin. I couldn't necessarily wear a hat any longer because the hair that's coming out of the hat is less and less and less. And so they took me and they took me to get a wig. And at that time, you know, my parents didn't know any better. I didn't know any better. My parents got the best wig that they could afford. Yeah. You know, like a, and it was a synthetic wig. And yeah. there's different types of wigs. You have human hair, yes. um, which you can curl and straighten and it looks more human hair like. But I had gotten a synthetic wig. And basically, I started wearing that wig. I go back to school. The first day back, I'm just like telling people that I got an extensions because I'm in, in sixth grade and that's kind of the excuse that I've come up with. Yeah. And some people have bought into it, I guess. And there's one girl that was absent the day that I came back to school wearing a wig. The next day, she's back at school. She yells from the line. We basically line up outside of class, the classroom. She yells, Nihar, are you wearing a wig? And after that moment, now all these kids have this thought in their head that I'm wearing a wig. And nothing that I ever say again is taken seriously. And from that moment, sixth grade, I go into middle school, new place, new environment. Now all the girls are wearing makeup. Now the girls really care about appearances. And, And also I was such a... Honestly, like such a little nerd. I would read my Harry Potter books and that's all I cared about. And I'm stepping into this world where people know so much more about just pop culture and media and coming from like a brown household. We used to watch Bollywood movies at home. I didn't know any of like the famous celebrities or kind of what was going on that this whole world was new to me. My parents didn't let me have social medias. Facebook was starting at that time. I wasn't really allowed to use YouTube. And that was just like they thought that they were protecting me. I think that's a very common thing that parents monitor. I wasn't allowed to use Facebook. Yeah. I still had it. Yeah. But I wasn't allowed. <laughs> yeah. And so it was this whole new world. And then on top of that, I was wearing a wig. Mm-hmm. And I was very aware of the fact that I couldn't straighten my hair and curl my hair and do all these things. My parents didn't let me wear makeup. I was a child. I was like literally 11 years old, right? 11. I think at that point, yes, 11, oh 12, gosh. something, something around that. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to wear makeup till I was like maybe 15, 16. Yeah. Even then. Yeah. I would like steal it, you know. Exactly. And so middle school was when it started to get really bad. The bullying. I, we used to have PE classes, gym classes, and we had a swimming pool on campus. And basically we would have rotations of swimming classes. And every time there was a swimming session, it was like a four or six week session, I would have to sit out of that session. And I would basically have to sit there on the bleachers in front of everybody that was swimming and they could see that I wasn't swimming. I don't know why my school decided that that was okay to do because I had a medical excuse because I couldn't swim with a wig, but also it made it very apparent that I couldn't swim. 
And yeah, just things got really bad. Kids started making up songs about like me wearing a wig. People used to just like shout at me. And I used to actually be a star student. When I was in elementary school, I had the best grades in my whole school. And like it was something that I was always really good at. I was always really good at academics. And I think direct correlation when I started wearing a wig, my grades went down because now I wasn't paying attention in class. I was paying attention to is the back of my hair okay? Do I need to pull my wig down over here? Do I need to pull my wig down over here? Who is sitting behind me today? Do I have to worry about... Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. The kid who's sitting behind me in class pulling my hair, how should I sit to make sure that I, they don't see it, but they also, I'm not at risk. And I started basically my, my biggest nightmare that I would have when I would go to sleep is someone pulled off my wig at school. And... How could you pay attention to teachers? How could you pay attention to homework? How could I care about school when all I was worried about was this thing? And I also just wanted to fit in. I just wanted people to like not look at me and just do whatever they were doing. And that basically went on for a few years. Middle school was two years long. Went into high school. High school was bigger. Kids were more mature. I think ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. 11th and 12th graders didn't really care about me as a 9th grader. The 9th and 10th graders, you know, did care, but they were also getting into their own things. I joined extracurriculars. I made friends. And I think that's when I really started coming into kind of who I was and focusing my energy. I joined like community service clubs and just areas that were more positive on campus. Mm. And then, yeah, I just basically continued on I was wearing a wig until 11th grade so how old were you I was at this time 16 years old okay so all through 9th all through 10th all through 11th 9th and 10th same thing with the PE classes with the swimming pool after in 11th grade you don't have to take gym class anymore so I was just literally (laughs) sitting here like please yeah let me just get to 11th grade where I don't have to take gym class I tried to get out of gym class so many times but You know, that's just the way that the school worked. And by 11th grade, I think from here, I had now transitioned into a few different wigs. My next wig was a human hair wig, which was better. My the wig after that was even a better wig. And so that was helping me. But also with a wig, you have one hairstyle for like a year, a year and a half until you basically get a new wig. So nothing was really helping my case um it was more just like i had to go out and i had to make friends and i had to make school seem yeah like i had to make whatever i could out of school and was it uncomfortable to wear a wig it was it was very uncomfortable um I used to have a lot of acne on my forehead because wow. the oils gather from the wig and the hair, especially if you have like a bang, which I did because the bang also conceals the hairline, which makes the wig look better. And so 
Uh, I had a lot of acne because of that. You can't wash the wig so often because it deteriorates the quality. And there's so many things you have to time it. If I need to wash my wig, I can't wear it for two days. So I can't leave the house for two days because it needs to wash and it needs to dry and I need to fix it. And like the first time I need to style it so it looks all right. There were so many things. What people don't realize is how much wearing a wig kind of inhibits your quality of life. I We talked about the swimming. I couldn't I couldn't go swimming. I couldn't dance. I had joined a few like dance classes and things like that, but like Bollywood, classical things. Just there was a lot of um, kids that were enrolled in these things and they would put on performances and I couldn't dance because when it came time for performances, I couldn't style my hair in the way everyone was. Yeah. If their hair was up, if it was bunned, if it was this, so then dancing was out of the picture. I couldn't go to amusement parks and roller coasters because then I'd be worried that my wig was going to fall off. I couldn't do sleepovers. I couldn't go on any trips, um, school trips or things like that. There were so many little, little things Mm. that really impacted the way that I could live. And also, this whole time, only my immediate family knows that I'm wearing a wig. My, I think my aunts and uncles, like my first set of cousins, I think they also knew, but it wasn't something that I had talked to them about. Like my parents, my mom obviously talked to her sister about it. Yeah. And it was okay, but it wasn't something that was necessarily advertised. And so there wasn't a lot of spaces where I could just be myself and be without a wig. We have a family party. I'm wearing my wig. We're doing anything. We used to live in a condo building and... They would have fire alarms sometimes in the middle of the night. And my biggest concern was if there's a fire alarm in the middle of the night, how am I going to go out? Like, do I put my wig on before I leave the building at 2 a.m. because our neighbors are going to see me? And we knew a lot of her neighbors. And there's just all of these things that you never think about. And thinking about it and saying this back to you now, like that burden Mm. of just constantly being worried about this thing that was on me. And I was hiding from everybody else. I think that took the most out of me. Yeah, I was just going to say, so was it conscious you didn't tell people? Was it a thing you spoke about with your family? Like, we won't tell anyone for now. I think it was implied. I don't think we ever said, oh, we're not going to tell people. I think it was just implied. It just became this thing, this secret that we kept. And I remember this one time we had family, I think my second cousins were visiting and I went to Disneyland with them. And we decided to tell them because I had to go to Disneyland with them. And like there was logistics that we had to figure out. But besides that, even our closest family friends, after I shaved my head and I, I spoke about it, they were like, oh, we had no idea or we had no idea that this is something that you were going through. And I think people make up their own things. People in school sometimes were like, oh, she has cancer. Oh, she has this. And because they don't know what alopecia is or they don't know necessarily what it could be. And so I think people probably noticed that there was something up because I had the same hairstyle. My hair always looked the same. My texture of my hair, things like that. But people didn't know what to think about it. The reason I asked if it was conscious is I think a lot of the time in Indian communities and Indian families, we don't want to share the things that we're going through because we're worried about what other people will say. But therefore, we cannot be supported by them. And then we wonder why people make their own assumptions. And I recently had a conversation um, with someone last week who was going through breast cancer. And she said that her grandma actually had breast cancer, but it was all hush-hush. Yeah, And she said, 
I wish it wasn't because if I had known about it, I would have known what the symptoms were. Yeah. And I would have known what my symptoms were sooner. Yeah. And I think it's totally normal when you're going through something. You don't want to tell so many people because I understand that it can be overwhelming. You don't want uninvited opinions. You don't want uninvited remedies. You don't want solutions that other people have come up with. But a lot of the time it can be really tough because you don't have that support, you don't have that love and you don't have that understanding. And like you said, a lot of people will make their own assumptions and that can actually make you feel more uncomfortable because you can hear it off the grapevine or you get people looking at you in a different way. And I think that it's such a difficult balance. Yeah. So at what point did you decide, you know, I've had enough with the wig? Yeah. So what actually happened was... When I finished 11th grade, at that point in time, my hair had started to grow back and I had grown back enough of my hair that I was actually like naturally able to stop wearing the wig. So the summer between 11th and 12th grade before my senior year of high school, I stopped wearing a wig. And because it was summer, I didn't have to go to school. I could kind of just like test the waters Mm. and... I just, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't wear a wig. I went to a camp, like a summer camp, and it was totally fine. Of course, still logistics that I had to figure out with hair washing and things because I still had bald spots, but it was nothing like needing to wear a wig. And after I stopped wearing a wig, I think my life changed. And I'll, I'll just mention something previously. I, while I was wearing a wig and while I was dealing with, you know, the worst years with middle school and high school, having hair was the only thing that I wanted. If I had like birthday wishes, those were my birthday wishes. If, if you threw a coin into a fountain that was supposed supposedly supposed to grant a wish, that was my wish. My mom told me once that every 24 hours something that you say comes true and she meant it as like a kind of a lesson that we should only say good things we should say positive things because then positive things will happen like we shouldn't say negative things and put that that. energy into the air but I took that as okay every 24 hours one thing's gonna come true so all I'm gonna say and think in 24 hours whenever I can is I have hair I get hair like manifesting this hair for myself and It was so tied to when I have hair, I will be happy. When I have hair, I will feel pretty. When I have hair, I will be accepted. Like there was everything was correlated and associated to this thought of hair. So when I stopped wearing a wig and I got to experience kind of what life was like with hair, obviously it was a lot better. Mm -hmm. I was able to live a lot more freely. I was able to kind of I found myself being more social. I found myself feeling more okay in new crowds and meeting new people and meeting new friends because I didn't have this thing to worry about. And after that point in time, because I felt so free, senior year, I was like thriving. I was nominated for like top 25 homecoming king and queen. And I was like president of two clubs and things like that. And obviously I had cultivated this community and made friends and kind of gotten involved in high school to make my life better. But senior year, I was like, okay, this is everything that I can dream of. My sister was getting married and at her wedding, I was able to have hair and curl my hair and style my hair again, still had bald spots. So it wasn't perfect. And I had, could only do certain hairstyles. I could never put up my hair in a ponytail or anything of that sort, but it was better than what I had ever had. At that same time, this was sort of October, November, December, school starts in August, September, senior year of high school. 
October, November, December, I start losing my hair again. And we go to India. My sister gets married. This is December now. And my hair just keeps falling and falling. And this time, we're able to do this treatment that I've never been able to do, which is steroid shots, because I only had a few bald spots. You can't do steroid shots if you have complete hair loss or large patches that are missing. I did steroid shots. And again, everybody's body works differently. My body kind of rejected it and it had a reverse effect on me. So instead of helping my hair grow, my hair started losing more and more rapidly. I tried to do some cosmetic things like I got extensions Mm -hmm. and it was really great for the time being, but it also tugged and caused tension and stress to my hair. And so ultimately I was almost back to square one. And at this point, my parents are like, okay, Let's solution this. What what are our next steps? What do we need to do? And my dad was like, okay, should we look at wig shops? We can look at better wig shops. We can try to figure this out. And I was in sort of denial. And I was like, no, I'm not wearing a wig again. And my dad would come home every day from work and ask me, like, did you do any research? Did you find any wig shops? And by this time, I'm I'm 17 years old. So, like, I'm almost like an adult. I have my opinions. I know better <laughs> than the first time when I started wearing a wig and I yeah. was like 10. And so I tell my dad every single day, I'm like, I'm not going to wear a wig. I would rather just shave my head. And my mom one day kind of just snapped at me and she was like, stop saying that you're going to shave your head. We both know that you're not going to do that. So like, why not just address it and like, let's figure out a plan. And then I was like, but but why am I not going to do that? Wait. And I just honestly, when I thought about it, I could not imagine going back to wearing a wig. I couldn't imagine going back to that confinement and carrying that burden on my shoulders. And like, even now when I think about it, a lot of people ask me like, why don't you even wear wigs for fun? And I'm like, I don't want to do that. That being hidden and there's so many layers and complexities with that. But I was like, I'm just going to shave my head. And no one took me seriously. And then I started really thinking about it and planning for it. And I talked to my family. I talked to my friends. Um, I had a high school boyfriend at the time. I talked to my high school boyfriend. Everyone was very supportive of me. And my parents were very worried, but they also knew that this is something that I had been struggling with for so long. And they were just kind of like, if this is what she wants to do, just let her do it. Yeah. They weren't necessarily happy about it. They were very, very nervous. They were very concerned with what are people going to think? What is the reaction going to be from the community? And for me, I had no idea what to expect, but I was just like, this is wearing a wig is not an option for me. There's not a medical treatment that I could go for. And after that, my options are kind of, I'm out of them. There's nothing else that I could do. And so then I decided to shave my head. And... That was probably the single best decision that I have made in my life. And not just deciding to shave my head. I think the way that I decided to shave my head was the key in doing it. So when I decided to shave my head and I spoke to everybody that I had to speak to, I said that I want to throw a party. I want to invite my closest friends and family and I want my dad to shave my head. And that's what I said that I wanted to do. And my parents were supportive. So why? Because I didn't want to shave my head on a Friday, Saturday, and then go to school on Monday kind of with my head down, not knowing what the reaction was going to be. Yeah. I wanted 
to shave my head and make this loud explosive statement that this is what I'm doing. This is exactly why I'm doing it. And I wanted to just tell the world and then be done with it. And so my mom said, she's like, sure, we could do this party. We could have it. But she didn't understand why. And she didn't want me to do it. And I remember prepping for this party and I got an outfit and I kind of made like a little banner that said Nihar's Bald Bash. It was in our house, but I still wanted to make like this cute little photo backdrop. And I wanted my friends to come and I wanted my friends to like post on Snapchat and Instagram so people could see that I did this thing. And my mom didn't understand it. And her mentality was like, okay, that's fine that you're doing this, but why do you need to do so much drama around it? Why do you need to make this such a thing? Just do it and then move on. And my whole thing was, if I don't show people that I'm so proud of this and I love myself for it and I accept myself for this, how can I expect them to kind of love me for that way and accept me for that way and have a positive reaction to this? I didn't want pity. That was a big thing. I didn't want sympathy. I didn't want people to be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Mm. Or people to question, oh, does she have cancer or is this something else? I wanted to kind of just embrace it and celebrate it. And that's exactly what happened. So I um, had the party and all my friends posted on social media. And when they did that, people knew at school that this had happened. And I had started getting, I posted on social media as well, and I got so many positive responses from people that bullied me years ago. Mm. People were saying, wow, this is so amazing. This is so brave. You look great. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And I, I and I don't hold anybody who has bullied me like against it. We were kids. We, you know, we don't know any better, to be honest. That's That's what I believe. And I felt like my kind of my whole life changed at that moment. And, um, The following weekend, my sister had her wedding reception in the U.S. And my mom wanted me to wait until after the wedding reception to shave my head because she's like, it's just one more week. It was literally Mm. a week. And she said, let's just wait one more week and then you could shave your head. And I very much wanted to do it before because every single person. So I had dealt with my school people, social media, all that stuff. But then every single person that we knew that we were family, family friends with just in our community was going to be at my sister's wedding reception. And I wanted to just come out and show everybody there because I had the confidence, confidence, which, you know, I'll talk about, but I kind of, it was my decision to make that I wanted to shave my head. It wasn't my parents' decision. And I knew that I could kind of present it as this thing to be proud of. And my parents were really going to take some time to get there. Yeah. And I knew that the community, if they asked my parents what was going on, my parents would be a little bit more somber about it. And it would really paint the picture of something not to be proud of. And so at my sister's wedding reception, I had a speech that I had to give for my sister and my brother-in-law. And before I gave the speech, I kind of said, let's address the elephant in the room. And I told them, I was like, you guys are all our closest family and friends. I want to share this with you. I'm perfectly healthy. You know, I have alopecia. I kind of just explained to them, it's not contagious. It doesn't hurt me. It doesn't harm me in any other way besides the fact that I just don't have hair. And I just shared to them that like you know this is something that I wanted to do and this is what it is and after that day and after that moment 
we felt so much love. I felt so much love. My family felt so much love from the community and from our family and family friends. And nobody ever questioned it. And everybody kind of accepted it. And my parents never had to answer to anybody's, oh, what happened? Mm. Oh, you know, is she okay? Or yeah. what's what's going to happen? And I think um, that the way that I decided to go about that, I think that is the best decision that I have made. So much to unpack. I mean, just from everything you've talked about, from school to then your sister's wedding, I can't help but think, though, how did you have so much strength and confidence to make a decision to do something that was so against the grain? Because when you're talking to me about your experience at school, I'm feeling your pain of, like, and just from your words, you had hair, and then you grew it back, and then you had it, and then it grew it back, and then you were so happy, and then you were like, okay, now it's gone again. And there's toing and froing. And when you're describing wearing the wig and all of the things that come with that, I can really, I mean, you know, I can only understand how hard that must have been. You know, as a child, you know, at the age of 10, to be mature enough to first understand what's going on, to then deal with so much criticism, to then feel constrained, to then your dra- your grades dropping. Like, it's just so many emotions. And I feel that, you know, as adults, we talk around mental health. But as a child, how was your mental health? And how did you have that power within you to make that decision? My mental health was awful. Um, I, as in middle school, I had a lot of anxiety towards mm. school. Um, I would get a lot of stomach aches. I would... I would physically kind of be impacted when I thought about school, especially if it was a PE day or if it was during the swimming session or things like that, or if there was something happening that day that I knew was different than the ordinary and I could potentially be um, impacted. And I think now, sorry, we talk about anxiety. Yeah. But at school, we used to get stomach aches. Yeah. Right. And it's only now that we've gotten older, we're like, oh, that was anxiety. We just don't think about it when you're in school because it's not talked about. Exactly. And I think my parents, um, I used to act up a lot at home. I used to fight a lot with my parents because my parents were strict and they I couldn't go to the mall with my friends like I mean, I was like the few friends that I have. I can't even do things with them outside of school where they're hanging out Mm. and they didn't understand it. And I also didn't share a lot of my kind of bullying and my experiences with my family because one, I think they didn't really understand it. Two, my parents were so worried about just providing for us. You know, immigrant family, like just very middle class. And they had so many other concerns about putting food on the table and paying rent and doing all of these things that I didn't want to yeah, bother them with this. And I also... They didn't understand and also mental health wasn't a thing. There was there's so many, again, layers and complex complexity to it. And I just remember acting up a lot and my parents would always say that like I had bad behavior and like all they would kind of scold me and now they know and now I know that the reason that I was acting up was so much was because I was so at school, I internalized so many things that when I came home I would snap at everything and I was ex- I would explode at everything. And I would say that probably seventh, eighth, ninth, 
until 10th grade maybe I was pretty like depressed and I know people also like teenage angst and and things like that but I think there was another layer to it and I just felt very isolated I felt like nobody understood what what I was going through and nobody could relate to me Mm, and I think you know just how you mentioned about you know people say now why don't you just wear a wig for fun listening to your story there's just there must be so much trauma there of just like even seeing one yeah you know because I think people just don't understand how much you probably had to go through every day to put on something that actually limited you from being who you were. Yeah. And I think you've talked around acceptance a lot. And I think a lot of us struggle with acceptance. What was that journey like for you in terms of, do you know what? I just don't care. Yeah. I know who I am and I'm going to be who I am. So I would say that... It sounds like it was very linear that this happened and then this happened and I accepted myself yeah. and I shaved my head <laughs> and, and that was that. And that's not really how it went down. I think when I decided to shave my head, I didn't really I didn't feel like I had another choice and I felt like I had nothing to lose. Yeah. So it was less about, oh, I love myself for who I am and I accept myself for who I am. That was the message that I showed the world. That wasn't necessarily what I felt internally. Yes. I still had a lot of insecurity and lack of confidence about that. But I was just thought this is my only option, you know. And there was a light at the end of the tunnel that for me, I thought that no matter what happens and I shave my head, at least I won't have to worry about hiding wearing a wig. And the, the, the part of hiding it to the world, that was really causing a lot of yeah. like strain and anxiety and a burden for me. And I was like, okay, no matter what the reaction is, even if it's a very negative reaction, how much worse could it be than the life that I was already dealing with, right? Like just the, the, the way that I was treated by people. And I think for me, once I did that and once I made it loud and proud and it was very much fake it till you make it. I I acted as if I was very proud of this and I was super confident and this is what it is. And I'm naturally like an extroverted person. I'm naturally yeah. like a louder person. And, and I think it, it helped me kind of just make the statement. And after I started getting all these positive reactions and after I started getting the love and the acceptance from others... I think that is what allowed me to accept myself. And I think it was kind of just, it took time. It took time to heal that. that Like, okay, this is actually what life is like now. Okay, I don't have to deal with this. Obviously, people would still look at me and stare at me, but for different, you know, I walk down the street, people always take a second second glance at me just to kind of just understand what they just saw. Because it's not, it's not ordinary. Mm. Um, Sometimes, People would greet me as sir because they just assume that because I don't have hair, I must identify as a man because they've never seen a woman without, you know, just like, yeah. and they do it mistakenly. Yeah. No one does it. It's, I think it's just not knowing and not being aware. What I really love about your party and I think being so loud and proud about it is exactly what your mom said is what you put out is what will come back to you. Right? Yeah. And I talk about that all the time. What we put out into the universe is what we will receive. So if I'm gonna go out there and tell everyone, I'm proud of this and I'm happy that I did this, number one, you are not gonna take that power away from me. And number two, you have to be a really bad person to tell me how I should be feeling. Yeah. Right? 100%. Unfortunately, at the moment on on Instagram and on YouTube, if you read my comments, people are like, you cannot be proud, Shivani. (laughs) 
that at 30 you have nothing you know someone commented <laughs> on my YouTube yesterday you have nothing you have no husband and you have no kids and you're lying to yourself that you're happy about it yeah so unfortunately with haters online they do tell you that but I think normal people in person you know your story around coming out and saying like this is something I want to do I'm empowered to make this the decision it's something that I'm not gonna hide yeah. And that is so freeing. Like hearing your story, I just feel like, oh, so freeing. Like it's such a nice experience. Yeah. And I think that we need to encourage more people to do that because it broke my heart earlier when you said that every night, every 24 hours, you would say, I wish I had hair. But I think what that message your mom told you is so powerful is every 24 hours, if you wish for something and you're putting that energy into the world, it will come back to you. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, after that, I had sort of dealt with this acceptance of what my alopecia was and I felt confident about it. I started to gain confidence around it. But I think there was other things that were unknown. I we talked about the bald brown bride campaign. Yeah. And the reason why that ca- campaign came to life was because when I after I'd shaved my head and I was confident about me in the present moment, I wasn't necessarily confident about myself in the future. And what that meant was every time that I would imagine and picture a major milestone in my life, such as a wedding, I would imagine myself with hair. And one day I like just had this conversation with myself. Why is that? Why is it that I'm confident and I accept myself and I love myself for who I am right now? And I was in college during the time. But When I think about getting married, I think that I need hair. And the reason that I thought and that I came up with was because I had never seen a bride who didn't have hair. I had never seen, especially a South Asian bride. There's so much that goes with accessories and the draping of like the dupatta and things like that that require having hair. And I just had no idea what that looked like. And I think marriage was also always like a big topic for me because when I had first decided to shave my head and I was kind of socializing it with my family, my grandma said to me at the time, if you decide to shave your head and now, you know, you don't have hair, who is going to marry you? And at that time, I think that was a really big message that I took from her saying that. And again, she didn't say it out of yeah. any like maliciousness. She was just genuinely concerned. Like she didn't know if I could have lead a normal life um, without hair. And from that, I had basically I thought about that and I said, why would I ever want to marry someone who wouldn't want to be with me just because of my hair? I have all of these other things that make up who I am as a person, but that's going to be the thing that they're going to be like, no, sorry. And why would I ever want to be with someone like that? And so I think kind of coming around full circle to the campaign, I wanted to show that you can lead a life and you can be a bride and be bald and It doesn't mean that me not having hair doesn't make me not beautiful. Me not having hair doesn't make me not successful. Me not having hair doesn't make me not worthy of being a bride. And like fast forward to now, I am engaged. You know, I am going to get married and I use a lot of my social media platforms to talk about just kind of my life and Mm. me living a normal life even though I don't have hair. Oh my God, that's so powerful. 
so amazing. And representation matters. You know, it's so important to see somebody like you doing the things you want to do. Otherwise, how are you going to know that you can do them? And I say that because when I started this podcast, people ask me, well, how did you start? And I always go back to the story of meeting Rashma when she was sitting at lunch and she was so strong and she was so opinionated and she was so inspiring and she had so much authority and I'd never seen a woman like that. And I thought, wait, hold on. This is amazing. And we are, we become who we see and we become who we think we can be by seeing representation. And I think it's so important that you're now using your platform to share that story too. I want to touch on confidence because I think a lot of people ask me around confidence. Do you think you're born with it? No. How do you build it? I think it comes with a lot of learning and it comes with a lot of effort. I think with anything in your life, you have to cultivate. And I think when you're a kid, sure, you have confidence. But I think there's a lot of things that we do as a society, that we do as people that, you know, a lot of times we tell kids, no, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. Why? Maybe because it harms them, but they don't know. And I think that kind of develops as you get older and you realize, oh, I can't do this and I can't do that and I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't do that and I shouldn't wear this mm. and I shouldn't look like that. And we dev we create this kind of picture of who we should be. And if we don't fit that mold, then we are insecure about it and yeah. we are not confident about it. And I also think that it's a work in progress journey always. Am I confident about my alopecia and my hair loss? Yes. That is probably the thing that I'm the most confident about. I have spent my whole life up until this point accepting it and eventually loving myself for it and now it being a part of who I am. Am I not confident about other parts of myself? Of course. I have insecurities about my body image and if I wake up with a pimple on my face and there's other things that I could be insecure and not confident about. But I think, again, it's a work in progress and we're not born with it. We have to build it by doing things that make you feel happy yeah. and doing things for yourself. You know, that's where self-care comes from. Self-care cultivates self-love and then surrounding yourself with people who support you and accept you for mm -hmm. who you are, because I don't think it is really possible to just be confident even if everyone around you is saying something else because we're human you know we're we're not we're gonna be affected by what people say and that's why it's important to have that tight inner circle that loves you and accepts you unconditionally yeah hair no hair and whatever the rest of the world says doesn't really matter i really love the point you touched upon around confidence and the fact that you can be confident in one hour of your life and be really insecure and really shy in another. And people struggle with that concept. You know, I just did a, a hair reel, okay? And I tried to imitate Tube Girl. Do you know who Tube Girl yeah. is? Yeah, I genuinely felt so shy. I tried to do it on the tube and I was so embarrassed. I was like, and it was so embarrassing because the other day I was on the tube and someone was sleeping next to me and there was a woman there who was watching me do it and she was looking at me in disgust thinking I was videoing this guy, which I wasn't. The guy ahead of me was like, what is going on? And was like laughing. And then there was someone on the other side that was just like staring at me. And I was like, I can't do it. How does she do it? Yeah. And then I did a hair one yesterday 
at the hairdresser and the whole time I was like, are people watching from outside? This is so embarrassing. Okay, I'm just not going to do it. Actually, forget it. No, I don't need to do it. Like, it was just a fun idea. And I toyed with it so much and I felt so embarrassed in front of my hairdresser who I've gone to for years about miming one word. And he was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I'm just so embarrassed. And he was like, why? You're so confident. And I was like... It's so easy to say, label somebody as confident, just how it's so easy to label somebody as shy, just how it's so easy to label people and put them into boxes because it's comfortable if somebody fits a narrative that we can hold them to. Yeah. Just how it's comfortable for us to attach ourselves to a narrative that we feel is comfortable. And it's really interesting that it's on a spectrum for every feeling or every emotion or every um, part of you Everything is on a spectrum. So you can wake up confident one day and the next day feel really embarrassed and really shy and want to hold back. And that's okay. And when I tell people that, they're like, you can't be shy. You're so confident. And I'm like, I just can't be bothered to, 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 to keep repeating the same thing over and over again because I think it applies to everyone in all areas of their life. But I think what's so powerful about your journey is you've never allowed it to stop you. And that's what I really love about you. You know, when you told me in school, if someone made fun of you, it was like, I'm going to go back to the drawing board. What can I do now to change that? Okay, someone's going to say this about me. I don't care. I'm going to I'm going to change that. And along the way, you've changed the narrative. But you've changed the narrative within you. Yeah. What were some of those things that helped you to do that? And what are some of the things now that help you when you're having a bad day? Because I think where I talk about so many controversial things on this podcast... And I'm so strong in all of those beliefs. But there are days where other people's thoughts seep into mine. And sometimes I find it difficult to hold on to my own. And I allow those thoughts to impact mine. How do you navigate that? Oh, man. I don't, I don't know if I do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I think we all all have bad days. And I think, again, I'm blessed in that. I do love my life and I do surround myself with people who love me that when I have bad days, they're the ones that bring me out. And I also think I I really do believe in in this thing of self-care where if I am having a bad day, I almost have a formula that I know if I if I do this the next day, I will feel better and I won't feel 100 percent, but maybe I'll feel 50 percent better and then I'll repeat it for another day and then maybe it'll it'll get a little bit better. And I think so. Step one of the formula is basically understanding what it is that makes me feel like more of myself. And I think. Oftentimes I find myself in a bad place when I haven't been following this formula or I haven't been doing things that are important to me or things that I find joy from. And once I know what that formula is, I basically have to repeat it for a few days because one day doesn't really bring you back to normal, right? You can be at 20% one day and go up to 50% and then go down to 40 and then go down to 70 and then eventually make your way up to... 90%. I don't know. I think there's very few days that we're always at 100%, but that's what we strive strive for. Um, For me, my formula is I, now we're at step three, basically incorporating physical activity, making sure that I give time for myself. I'm giving myself time to go to the gym and cook and nourish my body in these physical ways that I know make me feel good. And then also make sure that I'm giving time to 
my job and giving time to my relationship and giving time to um, my content and things like that. And I think I have what I consider to be a perfect day. And if I have close to a perfect day, one or two days, I think I find myself feeling rejuvenated and, and ready to move forward. But if I don't do that and I allow myself to just continue feeling poorly and the next day I don't go to the gym and then the following day I don't go to the gym and I'm just beating myself up like why do I feel so bad why do I why am I not happy when I look in the mirror why am I not happy when I go to bed why why do I wake up so just irritated not by anything but by my life because I'm not doing the things that I know make me feel good it sounds so simple, doesn't it? Yeah. But I think it takes so much to have that strength to reflect and think, okay, but why am I not happy? And a lot of the time it is because we're neglecting the things that make yeah. us happy yeah. and we're focusing on what other people tell us will make us happy yeah. and what other people are telling us that we should be doing. You know, some of, some of so many of us put so much time into our work, but how many of us take that time to really understand ourselves? Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why I just love speaking to people from all different backgrounds because you see that everyone has such a different story and what makes them happy won't necessarily work for the next person, but they know that. And so they are listening to themselves rather than listening to all the noise outside. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite quotes that really helped me get through the time where I was struggling to be confident with myself and kind of with my self-image is a really kind of cheesy quote, but um, it's the quote, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And I think when I was really struggling with my hair and me wearing a wig and should I shave my head and after I shaved my head and what, is someone going to marry me if my head's going to be shaved and all of these different things, that was something that kind of stuck with me. And I was like, you know, my version of beautiful is not someone else's version of beautiful. Their version of beautiful is not somebody else's version of beautiful. So why am I sitting here beating myself up over the fact that I don't fit into one person's definition of beautiful and one specific thing? And what is my own definition of beautiful? And I think that has really helped me make this narrative of beauty and acceptance and a lot of my platform is talking about just breaking those beauty standards that we set as society, that we set as South Asian women and all of these different things. And I think that's it's just really important to remember that there's not one thing that makes somebody beautiful and there's not one thing that makes someone not beautiful. And everyone is beautiful in their own way. That is amazing. I love that. And what was the other quote? The other quote is something that basically I think beauties on the eye of the beholder helped me get to a certain point. And I think when you talk about the haters and the people that are saying things, how do I not let that affect me and how do I keep moving on? That's where the second quote comes into mind. So the second quote, and I just found this somewhere on, on social media, is she remembered who she was and the game changed. And that quote, I came across it and it was so powerful to me that it literally became my phone wallpaper <sighs> and my desktop background. And anywhere that I could put it, I put it because I, it was a reminder that she remembered who she was in the game change. And what that basically means is when you know who you are and when you live in your truth, things will happen for you. 
and things will open up. And I think that is what I needed to hear. Okay, I've accepted myself and people are still saying X, Y, Z, or I look at my body and I feel X, Y, Z, but I need to remember who I am and where I've come from and what I'm trying to do. And things are going to happen and the game will be changed. (laughs) Oh my God, that is so powerful. And I feel so empowered, you know, just listening to your story, listening to how far you've come in terms of that little girl when you were 10 years old. And I think that it's such an incredible story of how you are the controller and you have the power within you to change your life. Yeah. And you can choose the narrative. You know, I just feel such positive energy from you. I feel like you've made me so confident in this conversation. And you've made me realize that, you know, we don't need to listen to everybody else. And I needed that today. I really needed that boost. I really needed that clarity. So thank you so much thank for you. coming all the way from LA just to see me. No, I'm just yes. joking. She didn't come all the way. It was, it was part me. of the plan. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really grateful and I'm just so happy we had this conversation. So thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure.